Strong Opinion Sports is powered by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 580. Welcome in. Today we're going to talk about Thursday night football from last night, the Eagles and Minnesota. Uh, I went back and watched the Raiders-Broncos game. I'll comment on that. Most of the show today is going to be questions from Patreon. It's kind of a casual Friday. Let's hang out. Let's talk about sports. Let's have some fun. Um, I do want to give a warning. I feel like I'm taking a risk recording this episode for this one reason. There is a dog in a building. I believe it's the building next door just going insane all morning. And I waited three hours hoping, like, eventually this dog is going to get bored of barking all day and just stop. Um, it hasn't stopped. I am not convinced you can hear it in the background. I can hear it. It's driving me crazy. I want to, you know, jump off a bridge. However, I don't think you can hear it. So if it ruins the show today, I apologize. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do. I've waited and waited, and I've been waiting this dog out, and it hasn't stopped. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a gas leak. Maybe the dog's trying to warn us of a gas leak and... Um, you know, I know of a guy whose house blew up in San Francisco from a gas leak, got a ton of money. Maybe this is how I become a rich man. Maybe, although more likely, uh, the dog probably just has separation anxiety, which, you know, me too, man. I get it. Um, and I, I really got to say, I hope this doesn't become like if it's a new puppy next door and it's just going to bark every day for the rest of existence. I, oh my gosh, it's going to be very difficult for me. Um, you know what though? Hey, what? Yeah, ha, holy crap. I should have just started recording it three hours ago because the minute I started talking, it's done. Maybe you just wanted to hear the sound of my lovely voice. That's what the dog wanted. Now that I've stopped, we can't stop. We got to, or now that I've started, we can't stop. We just got to keep on going. Unfortunately, though, I do got to take a break. Let's do a break real quick. We got to pay the bills. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options from spreads, player props, overs and unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston. That's FanDuel.com Boston. And kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. <laughs> you would never believe the minute I said, let's take a break, we got to pay the bills, the dog went, <laughs> I don't understand, man. Uh, let's jump in. On Thursday night football, Philly beat Minnesota 34-28. to And this game was closer than I expected. I thought Philly would kind of run away with the game. The Vikings center was out with an injury. Um, their left tackle, Christian Derrissaw, had an ankle injury. He started the game, didn't finish the game. By the end of the game, Minnesota was on their third string left tackle. 
And somehow, despite having four turnovers in this football game, four different players on the Minnesota Vikings had a fumble on Thursday night. Somehow, Philly still won 34-28. to They made it a close game. I'm not sure how Minnesota made it interesting and close, but they did. Um, it's also worth noting, last year, Minnesota was 11-0 during the regular season in one-score games. So far, the Vikings are 0-2, and in the first two games of the year this year, they lost both games by one score. Not trying to say I told you so, but we all saw this coming. It's very rare for a team that has a magical year, like Minnesota had last year, wins a ton of crazy close games. It's just hard to repeat that process the next year afterward. Um, This game was a very tough situation for Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. I mentioned it. Their starting center did not play with a back injury. Their left tackle, Christian Derrissaw, was hurt. He started the game, but his ankle injury was acting up. He didn't finish the game. Then later in the game, the backup left tackle for Minnesota also got hurt. So by the end of the game, the Vikings had their third string left tackle playing. Um, Kirk Cousins had a fumble, got hit from behind. It's kind of hard to fault him for that. Like, the offensive line was a disaster. Kirk was getting obliterated basically all night and somehow still put together a four-touchdown game. He was 31 for 44, passing 364 yards, four touchdowns, had the fumble. But I thought that, you know, it's hard to watch Thursday Night Football with an understanding of football and not respect Kirk Cousins for that performance. I mean, I you can hate on the guy. He gets a lot of hate, certainly. But the dude hung in the pocket, took a lot of hits all night long, and dialed up a lot of really good throws. Now, the toughest play of the game for Minnesota was that right before halftime, Kirk Cousins had... A big completion to Justin Jefferson, their best receiver, who was reaching for the goal line for the pylon and fumbled. The ball went out of bounds through the end zone. That means it's a touchback and the ball is given to the other team. I've always thought that rule was kind of harsh. I'm fine with that being a touchback. Why is it a turnover? I'm not really sure. I mean, if you fumble out of bounds, it's not a turnover. I'm not sure. I mean, certainly, um, I guess it should be penalized, and I, I don't mind the defense getting rewarded for a player making a mistake like that. Um, but I did always think that rule was kind of harsh. Regardless, it led to Minnesota having this awesome play. Would have been down at like the one-yard line. Instead, it's a turnover, and Minnesota got zero points on that drive. Zero points in that moment is a difference in the football game. And you can hate on um, Justin Jefferson. I don't think that's fair, but you can if you want to. Now, um, it's worth noting that Minnesota is 0-2. They had a lost week one by three points, a lost week two by six points. In week one, Minnesota had three turnovers, and week two, on Thursday night, they had four turnovers. It's a really bad way to start your year, especially if you're losing a close game. Like, Minnesota's been in both games they've played this year. It's been close. It's been interesting. They've had a shot to win, but they keep shooting themselves in the foot, and it's a problem. By the way, they're running back Madison... I, I I want I I so I I know his name but I can't remember it right now. I want to say it's Alexander Madison, but that feels like a political name from like the 1850s. So I have no idea. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the name. I'm not gonna look it up. I can't right now. I'm blanking on it. But the Vikings made a very conscious decision to get rid of Dalvin Cook. Um, right now the running back replacing Dalvin Cook isn't doing enough. It's uh it's not great. Um, two weeks into the season, Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback. Has really insane numbers, 708 yards passing, six touchdown passes. However, got an interception and three fumbles. So 
four turnovers, six touchdowns. It's just, it's tough. You know, I will say his offensive line has been pretty messy. He's been getting hit a ton in both games. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a difficult way to win when your quarterback is getting hit all night long. And whether you like Kirk Cousins or not, I think he's playing fairly well in a tough situation and deserves some respect for that. Um, like, I implore you, go play quarterback in the NFL getting hit every single time you drop back. And not only getting hit, getting, like, obliterated and thrown to the ground and hit really hard and still dial up six touchdown passes in two weeks. Um, you know, I think you have to respect what Kirk Cousins is doing in spite of the turnovers. But, um, you know, I just, again, last night, that's a tough loss for Minnesota. It's hard to win, though, when you have four turnovers. Now, Philadelphia, honestly, I thought had kind of a slow start to this game. Jalen Hurts threw an interception early. They missed a field goal. I mean, there was a point in the first half of this football game where Philly fans were booing their own team, the Eagles. And it's like, wow, this is really, A, it's an impatient fan base. But B, Philly's not playing great. And it took them a little bit of a, a time to get going. Right before halftime, they had a long 16-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. It felt like that was the moment where Philly started to gain rhythm. And remember, Philly's got... Two new coordinators, a new defensive coordinator and a new offensive coordinator. And I said, I thought there might be some hiccups early on. I thought they could have been better week one against New England. It was also a tough matchup against a good defense coached by Bill Belichick. And remember, in the early part of the NFL season, defenses usually have an advantage because there's less install, there's less stuff you have to do uh, to be on the same page. And I thought week one was kind of a rough start for Philly's offense. This game, you know, this game against Minnesota also was kind of a slow start. But this drive, 16 plays, 75-yard touchdown drive, they ran the ball 13 of those 16 plays, and it felt like Philly and the new offensive coordinator finally started to go, okay, I know how to use my personnel. I know what we're doing here. They ran and ran and ran and ran the football just all night long. Uh, They dominated time of possession. It was like 39 minutes to 20-something minutes. Jalen Hurts had two touchdowns uh, with a quarterback sneak. And I got to say, in short yardage, when it, whether it's fourth and one, third and one, um, the goal line, you know, goal to go, Philly is unstoppable with the QB sneak. And in the past, they've won because they pushed Jalen Hurts from behind. It's still legal to do that, at least for one more year. They're going to reconsider the rules after this year. But there are times where, like against Minnesota, They didn't need anyone pushing Jalen Hurts. He was just getting like three yards. The push from that offensive line is incredible. And the the Eagles' offensive line, it cannot be overstated enough. They were dominant on Thursday night, which is a terrifying reality. They've got, I think, a young defensive line, rookie defensive tackle, but they're getting better, and there's a lot of potential there. And they're still a good defensive line. They got after Kirk Cousins like crazy on Thursday night. And the offensive line in Philly is horrifyingly dominant. Uh, DeAndre Swift had 28 carries for 175 yards and a touchdown in this football game. Remember, week one, DeAndre Swift had one carry for three yards. It feels like Philly is figuring it out, figuring out how to use their players, what their players are best at. Um, I I give credit to Minnesota. They hung around the game. Again, when your offensive line is in chaos, it is really, really hard to score 28 points and stick around. And I thought it was kind of cool. Vikings rookie receiver... Jordan Addison had a long touchdown catch. He beat one-on-one coverage. It was a nice ball by Kirk. Even better play by the receiver. Uh, also, by the way, Eagles receiver Devontae Smith had a long touchdown 
And it's funny, remember when people said Devontae Smith was too small to play in the NFL? I mean, he only won the Heisman Trophy. Clearly, he was garbage at football in college. Uh, he had four catches for 131 yards and a touchdown. But, you know, one moment that I think grabbed some people and... I've seen headlines today, polarizing stuff. It personally was totally inoffensive to me. I just didn't... I I can't pretend. When I don't think something's a big deal, I can't force myself to go, oh my gosh, can you believe what blah, blah, blah happened? There was an incident on the sideline where... Incident's not even the right word. There was a moment where A.J. Brown, who had three catches for, I think, like 37 yards, 37 or 17, it was some really small amount of yards. It's trivial. It was just he didn't have a, a big game. And A.J. Brown was frustrated and was talking to Jalen Hurts in a heated manner, like, give me the ball, what's happening, are, are basically the things he was saying. And people have gone off on A.J. Brown and got really mad at him. And you know, he did get two targets after that. One was kind of a no call and a deep ball. One was a play that he almost had for a touchdown against man one-on-one uh, -on -one coverage. Three catches on the night. I I wasn't bothered by, you know, A.J. Brown talking to his quarterback in a heated manner. Like, I think if you catch A.J. Brown today, he'd say, yeah, I want to win. I don't I don't care how my num what my numbers are. I want to win. But in the moment, you want the ball. And I, I think part of what makes A.J. Brown a good receiver is that competitive spirit. And I just don't – I can't get myself fired up. I mean, part of your job as a quarterback is to manage personalities. I've done that my entire I, – I, I, I don't do it anymore. I did that my entire career. I had a couple of receivers who – they wanted the ball, and they would tell you, and they would even say, you know, I could play quarterback, man. They would really, you know, razz me up, and, and we would, they would smack talk me when they were frustrated. And you just have to manage that situation. I, I think, you know, I just don't find any offense. I wasn't bothered. I'm not angry about A.J. Brown getting, you know, heated at his quarterback. It happens sometimes. It's part of football. Um I would imagine today in the locker room, they're fine. I just don't, I don't, I can't get myself riled up about a moment where a quarterback and receiver have a little bit of a jaw and the receiver is upset he wants a football. Good, you should be. That's, yeah. what kind of receiver doesn't want the football? You know, I, I just, I've never understood that people getting mad at the receiver for that. Uh, and Jalen Hurts handled it really well. That's part of his job as a leader. I don't know, man. I, I just, I feel like I have to bring it up because I know people want to hear about it, but I personally could not have cared less. I'm like, yeah, that's that's part of the game. Um, now, with this game, the Vikings had four turnovers. It should not have been as close as it was. I mean, there's just no world. I thought Philly was going to walk away and win by a lot in this football game. I think, if anything, you got to credit Minnesota for fighting really hard, hanging around, Kirk Cousins making a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage and handling a pass rush, getting obliterated all night. Um, I mean, every time he dropped back to pass was just a, a brutal hit. The offensive line was really struggling for Minnesota. Um, and so you might not like Kirk Cousins. That's fine. I walked away admiring and respecting his tenacity, hanging in there all night, making it a close game. And if I don't, I don't want to say this is a bit inflammatory and mean, but if Justin Jefferson doesn't get the word I want to say is greedy and, and reach for that pylon and instead just holds on to the ball, goes out of bounds at the one-yard line. Minnesota might have won that football game. I mean, I really thought Philly had opportunities late in that game to pull away and put together a long scoring drive and, you know, pull away by three scores and make it, you know, not possible for Minnesota to come back. They didn't do that. The defense for Minnesota allowed them to hang around. 
Kirk made enough plays. I thought that was a winnable game for Minnesota. Obviously, anytime you lose by six points with four turnovers, it's a problem. But especially that play is one that, like, oh, man, you know, that was a prime opportunity. And, uh, you know, I I heard Kirk Cousins talk about that moment after the game. He said, you know, we do talk about ball security, and we don't want receivers reaching for the pylon because you can fumble, and that can happen unless it's, like, fourth down or the end of the game. But, like, he's Kirk took actually found a way to put it on himself, which I think is really cool. I mean, Kirk said— I could have thrown a perfect ball, and then he doesn't have to slow down at all and can run into the end zone untouched. So I like Kirk, that leadership in the moment, to find a way to take the onus on him. That's the right way to handle that. That's, again, part of playing quarterback. And, you know, I I wonder, Kirk gets so much hate and so much criticism, and I almost wonder if he wasn't so nice and wasn't so willing to take the blame and willing to take the criticism— if he would actually get stood up for a little more. I just thought Kirk played really, really well and had a fumble, but man, like the way he hung in the pocket all night against a really difficult pass rush to play against, I just thought Kirk played really well and and did the best he possibly could. Now, uh, one more thing worth noting about this Thursday night football game. First one of the year. Uh, First of all, I hate, I absolutely hate watching games on Amazon Prime. It I don't even have Amazon Prime. I had to watch on my roommate's TV, like in the living room, because I'm like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have Amazon Prime. I'm not, I'm good. Why don't I need that? And uh, it was a, a I hate, I, I didn't like it last year. I hate that I'm forced to watch games on Prime this year. It drives me nuts. I almost like the game airs at 2 p.m. Hawaii time, and then I know they're gonna replay the game every night on NFL Network. I thought about like. During the first quarter, I couldn't rewind or fast forward. I absolutely hated it. I was like, you know what? I might just wait till 6 o'clock and watch this game tonight, Friday, Thursday night. Actually, Thursday at Hawaii time rather than Thursday afternoon Hawaii time. I ended up watching the game live, but oh, man. I don't like watching games on Amazon Prime. I hate that. It's not on TV to me. It's like this is – I don't want to watch games here. Um, although one thing important to say, the reason why I started bringing up the first game Thursday night of the year – I thought Kirk Herbstreet, the analyst, and Al Michaels, the um, play-by-play announcer, had better chemistry than they had last year. They're getting better together. Uh, last year was pretty rough. I mean, a lot of the Thursday night games last year were awful. Remember that historically bad Broncos-Colts game that was, like, maybe the worst game, <laughs> one of them, in NFL history? So they had some bad games to work with. But Kirk and Al Michaels, I thought, did a better job in this game than they did in any game last year. And I think they are deserving of a shout-out. Wow, so dog barking. Can anyone hear the helicopter? Like, just the background noise in this show. I might as well be back in the truck. Like, there's just things going on like crazy all over today. Uh, That's what happens when you live in a giant urban uh, setting in the middle of a big city. Um, I went back and watched the Raiders-Broncos game from week one. The Raiders won 17-16. You know, I, I don't have a lot to say about the Raiders. Credit to them. Jimmy Garoppolo had two touchdowns, six incompletions on the day. I was surprised the Raiders won. I, I thought the Raiders played better than I expected. And, and one thing worth noting, I thought Jimmy Garoppolo looked like a really good fit with head coach Josh McDaniels and his system. Um, that's interesting to me. I remember I had really low expectations. I believe five wins for the Raiders. They've already got one. And I'm not a big believer in Josh McDaniels or Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, there was a moment in this game. Jimmy G got hit. It was a personal foul, but he had to stay out of the game. And I'm like, oh my gosh, early in the first quarter, Jimmy Garoppolo's all 
already hurt. I believe it was on the first drive. It was the first drive. Jimmy Grapple had to stay out of the game for two plays on the goal line and the Raiders' first ever drive uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. So the minute I saw Jimmy Garoppolo go to the blue tent, the injury tent, I'm like, <laughs> first drive? Oh my gosh, we will see if Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy all year. Uh, but I will say Josh McDaniels and Jimmy G worked very well together week one. It looked like a good fit. Uh, Jacoby Myers had two touchdowns. He's actually injured and not going to play. Has a concussion, won't play week two. But hey, uh, Raiders, better than I expected. Well done. Now, it was a weird game. Denver lost by one point, 16 to 17. Denver had a missed field goal and a missed extra point. That's the difference in the game. Their kicker, Will Lutz, basically is the reason why they lost. The, the field goal was a long 55-yard kick, but you're in Denver. The ball literally sails farther up at that high elevation. Um, you know, and I thought the kicker missed opportunities, but Denver's offense didn't miss many opportunities. Denver only had the ball six times in that entire football game. And they scored on three of those six opportunities. And one of the six, they missed a field goal. So really, they could have had four scoring drives of the six times they had the ball. They only punted twice, Denver did, all game long. And uh, it's rare to only get the ball three times in the first half and then three times in the second half. That's just, I mean, look, both teams ran the ball a lot, had a lot of time of possession. And it's also interesting, you can't really blame the Broncos' defense for the loss either. I mean, they Denver had a goal line stand where they picked off Jimmy Garoppolo on third down because of penalties they did. They were on the goal line for like six plays in a row, and the Raiders got zero points on that drive. I thought the defense had, you know, did a fairly good job, made some plays when they needed to. Um, you know, their safety, um, gosh, their safety... Caden Stearns got hurt. He tore his patellar tendon. He's got an injury. Caden Stearns is out for the year. That's going to hurt their defense. But uh, Russell Wilson played well. I thought that Russell Wilson, the Broncos quarterback, he's not the Broncos' new quarterback, but I do feel like we're seeing a new Russell Wilson with Denver. He was 27 for 34, passing at 177 yards, two touchdowns. Played a very clean game, zero turnovers, very few incomplete passes. Uh, One was on a... A, play, a ball where he clocked it before halftime. Um, and Russell Wilson moved really well. He extended plays, got out of the pocket. Both touchdown passes were on plays where he extended the play, got outside of the pocket, threw a touchdown pass. I thought Russell Wilson looked very good week one, actually, and made me, despite the loss, I mean, this is a tough game to lose. It's a close one. You lose by one point. Your kicker has two big kicks. He misses. You only get the ball six times all game. You have four scoring opportunities in those six possessions. Um, you know, I think despite losing week one, Denver was really solid. They had no turnovers. They did have 10 penalties, which can be cleaned up. But the Raiders, I mean, also had 10 penalties. In fact, the Raiders actually had more penalty yards than Denver did week one. Um, I, I walked away. They didn't win, which, you know, you always want to win in the NFL. But I was actually like, okay, hey, Denver's got something there. The Raiders are better than I thought. And and Denver, Russell Wilson looked good. And if Russell Wilson had had the ball more times in that football game, I think he would have put up even better numbers. And, look, I I understand. I mean, the Raiders' game plan was we're going to have a lot of time of possession. We're going to run the ball. We're not going to give the ball very much to Denver. Neither team had the ball very much because both of them were running the football a lot. The clock was running down quickly. It felt like a very fast game to watch in the NFL. Um and the Raiders came out on top. But I walked away, uh, I don't know if the word is satisfied, but like, okay, this could work. I liked what we saw from Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos week one. 
with Russell Wilson. Now, Donovan wrote in about it. Donovan said, greetings. Uh, this is on Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Donovan said, greetings, Zacchaeus Shomleus. You can just call me Zach Attack. That's fine. <laughs> I don't need all these Zac- Zacchaeus Shomleus. Well, I, no, I, I love you, Donovan. We can do better. My name is Donovan, and I'm a Broncos fan. We lost to the Raiders 17-16, to and it's a sad day for us in Broncos country. But I do have optimism for the year. I'm not going to cry about our kicker missing a PAT at a field goal, but just going to acknowledge that it happened. My question for you is, does Russ look good again? He says, I believe Russell Wilson was navigating the pocket well, hitting his open receivers and making good calls at the line. He only had two incompletions, one of which was a spike to stop the clock before halftime. What say you? I think you're wrong there. He was 27 for 34 passing. He had seven incomplete passes. One was... Uh, a spike to stop the clock before halftime. But uh, Donovan, I think you're thinking of his stats. He was 15 for 17 going into halftime, which that's awesome. But the rest of the game was completed. He did have seven total incomplete passes on the day. What say Zach? What say I? I can't even talk. Um, (laughs) Russell Wilson was good, man. I, I really did. I walked away despite losing encouraged for the Broncos. Like, hey, Russ looks good. Um, the defense had a goal line stand. They only gave up 17 points. I thought that all around, I don't know that Denver's going to be a great football team this year. Like they might not win 12 games and go 12 and five, nothing like that. But what I can say confidently, Denver never had a game like that last year with their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. Never once did we see the Broncos look as competent and as organized as they looked in week one under Sean Payton. Already, I'm like, it's a better Broncos team. They might have lost, but they are... Russ looks good. He looks efficient. He's extending plays well. Um, They're buttoned up. They're doing good stuff. I I really just thought that the Broncos were so bad last year. It's an easy, actually, job for a coach to come in and make them look better. But I thought that the Broncos were already much more... um, What's the right word here? Organized, productive and on the same page than they were last year. And I I walked away with confidence. Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to take before Denver is getting a lot of wins and looks like they did with the Saints and Drew Brees, but I do have confidence Sean Payton's going to work in Denver. Week one is a great example of like, hey, they're not losing games for really dumb reasons. Maybe you can argue the kicker missing two kicks is dumb. Um, And I can actually, I can take a loss where you lose on a field goal and an extra point rather than, Whatever happened with Nathaniel Hackett last year, I mean, they were losing for like just the I mean, 50,000 reasons all in one game. You're like, hey, everything is a disaster and it's chaos and horrible here. So I'm just happy to see the Denver Broncos not be a chaotic mess like they were last year. I walked away feeling good about Denver despite the loss after one week. By the way, um, did anyone see Deion Sanders today? In response to Jay Norville, the coach at Colorado State criticizing him. You know, I take my hat and sunglasses off when I talk to grown-ups. Deion Sanders responded to that comment not by hating on Jay Norville, not by lashing out, not by anything. He told his team they made it personal. I, I just, I really can't say enough. Dion never goes out of his way. He never, I've never thought of an, I can't find an example of Dion tearing another person down. In fact, all I have found is Dion praising his opponents, praising the head coach at TCU, 
praising Trey Sanders, their running back, giving them credit, being kind, going out of his way to be generous to other people. Even after Matt Rule, the head coach of Nebraska, was kind of a punk in the offseason and said bad stuff about him, Dion never stoops to that level. I don't know what was happening, whether Jay Morville is trying to get recruits to say, he's like, oh, you know, you might think Dion's disrespectful. I'm your guy. I'll, I'll take my hat and sunglasses off when I talk to the media. I don't know how you can look at Deion Sanders and not feel like he's the most respectful coach actually in college football. Nick Saban, every coach I can think of at some point has lashed out and said something bad about another coach. Not Deion. Not Deion Sanders. He doesn't tear other people down. It's one of his core philosophies, and I love it. Now, here's what Deion did, though, in response to Jay Norville. Rather than lashing out, rather than saying something disrespectful, rather than stooping to that level, what he did because Jay Norville said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my sunglasses off, Deion Sanders bought his entire football team at Colorado gold sunglasses for their game at Colorado State. I can't wait till they all walk out wearing dang gold sunglasses to the game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's great television. And um, look, I, I think that Minnesota against North Carolina could be a good game this weekend in college football. Um, there's a game, there's another one I'm blanking on that I can't remember, but there's like one other game. I'm like, oh, that could be good. But the game I'm going to watch and, and it's, it's Colorado, Colorado state. And I, if it's a 50 point blowout, I'm going to watch all four quarters. That sounds fun and exciting and interesting. So I can't tell you the last time. I think it's just cause I'm a fan of Colorado right now. I'm a fan of Dion and what he's doing. Cause I would imagine an Alabama fan when Alabama beats Georgia or Alabama plays Tennessee and Alabama went, they haven't beat Georgia like that in a while, but I would imagine when you watch an Alabama football team blow out an opponent in the SEC, 55 to 14, you're having a blast the entire time. I finally understand the feeling of a fan of a team. I'm not a Colorado fan. I want to be clear about that. If Deion Sanders left tomorrow, I no longer care about Colorado. I'm a Deion Sanders fan. But because I love him, because I love that team and I'm compelled by what they're doing, when they blow out Colorado State like 55-14 to 14 on Saturday, I'm going to watch all four quarters and have a great time doing it. And I cannot wait. Pray to God, though, no one gets hurt. If Shadur Sanders gets hurt, their quarterback, I am not as confident that Colorado can dominate a win. So let's pray Shadur Sanders, their quarterback, stays healthy. All right, um, before we get into Patreon questions, I got to pay the bills, so... Let's take a short break and uh, hear from our sponsor. Hey guys, uh, it's kind of a big deal here. I'm actually trying to help you, so don't skip the ad. I know that when you listen to a podcast, you skip ahead. I know that because that's what I do, but don't skip this one. We got Factor as a sponsor, and I was sitting down to prepare my little ad read. They give, you know, I, I write a piece of paper with a bunch of notes, and I'm like, okay, what are they offering? What's the deal here? Usually it's like 10 to 20%. You're like, okay, factor.com slash SOS, whatever. And uh, no, 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 they are offering 50% off to Strong Opinion Sports listeners. And here's what they are. They are, Factor is a meal kit service. You can get 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50. And uh, straight up on a human level, if you'd be kind of silly not to investigate. It's a great deal. Factor is a meal kit service. They send you ready to eat meals. Uh, they're easy to prepare. For me, they showed up in a box with a bunch of high-quality ice packs. You take them out of the box, you put the, the meal kits in the fridge, and when you want food, you go to the fridge, you take it out, you put the thing in the microwave, you heat it up, two minutes later, you've got a really good meal ready to go. Now, 
The microwave part made me kind of go, what is this? Is it a bunch of TV dinners? Like, what is this crap? No, no, no. This is phenomenal food. It's high quality. It's never frozen. And compared to all the other options you can have for a quick and easy meal, it kind of kicks booty and is phenomenal. So what I really think is interesting, too, there's so many ways to customize your order, whether you are maybe you're on a diet and you're like, hey, I'm trying to cut calories. There are low calorie options. Or maybe you just want really good food that's easy to make and doesn't take 30 minutes to an hour out of your time cooking during the day. Like for me, I'm really busy with football season and it's an incredibly valuable thing for me to go to my fridge, grab a really good meal, pull it out, put it in the microwave. Two minutes later, I've got a good meal ready to go. I saved a lot of time. It's cheaper for you and better than takeout or delivery. I used to drive for a delivery service. Guys, those prices are not good compared to this. Um, So again, it's just nice to have the fridge loaded with high quality, good meals that are easy to prepare. And you can get 50% off of this meal kit service. Do the math. That's a really good offer. So head to factormeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50 to get 50% off. That is factormeals.com slash SOS50. Use code SOS50 to get 50% off. Again, code SOS50 at factormeals.com slash SOS50 to get 50% off. And uh, guys, it's a great offer. You would be silly. I'm trying to help you. Like that would be a great thing to investigate because it's legitimately a great deal. Food's expensive right now. And having food that's great and convenient and not terrible for you is a rare thing. So investigate it, factormeals.com slash SOS50. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing well. Um, The dog has totally stopped barking. Again, I don't know if it's the soothing sound of my voice or maybe the owner got shamed into putting their dog somewhere else so he couldn't bark like crazy. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm just grateful that my ears aren't ringing after three hours of waiting and waiting for this dog to be quiet. Um, if, If my neighbor's listening, I love you. No disrespect. Whatever you did, if you did something, I am grateful. And uh, hey, like, do what you got to do for your dog. I'm happy. I can wear headphones most of the day. It's just hard. If you're out there, I'm looking at my window. I don't see anything. It's it's covered. But if you're out there, neighbor, I got no ill will towards you. I love you. I just, it's really hard to record a podcast with a dog going crazy. Um, let's jump into questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, let me back up. I say that too fast every time. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month, $12 a year. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show, although let's be clear, I read most of them. I I really try. The only thing I do guarantee, though, I guarantee I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. So guys, right into the show, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. I also want to say, um, I feel I looked at my, I, I for a long time was really good at keeping up with Patreon messages. In the last two months, I mean, I would have like always like a hanging chad, like one or two I hadn't read. I'm at like 99 unread messages on Patreon. It's giving me extreme anxiety. It's something I want to try to get through on Friday and Saturday. I like responding to people. I like talking to people. I beg you, be patient. My eyeballs can only hold so much space, right? I can look at every post. I want. I read all the Patreon questions. I'm having a hard time keeping up with the messages right now. I'm grateful for all your kind messages. I'm doing the best I can. 
I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, I'm still working. I, I got to sit down. Probably today. I didn't have time to do it yesterday. I was working and watching football. And I watched the Raiders game and the Broncos game and the Eagles game and recorded an episode and wrote this episode. So today I hope to sit down and figure out how to properly connect Discord to the Patreon. That's coming. And that is something... I can't wait because I want to have just a group chat where we can all hang out and like share memes and have fun. And actually someone shared a meme uh, today. Um, <laughs> my friend Logan made a meme. Remember, if you listen to episode 579, Patty Nuts wrote in on Patreon before the Giants game and then edited his question during the Giants game. Like he was so excited about the Giants game. Then they got embarrassed 40 to nothing. So Logan made this meme. If you're watching YouTube, I'm just going to put it on screen. Um... And it's making fun of Patty Nuts 22. I love you, Giants fan. You're funny. And uh, <laughs> humiliation, man. It's a it's a horrible thing. And Giants fans, I'm sure, felt it a lot during week one. Um, you know, the dog's going again. It's fine. It is what it is. I, I don't think you guys can hear it. If you can, again, if it's ruining the show, I'm sorry. It's ruining my life. My, my head is spinning and I'm having a hard time focusing. But I think we're all good here. Um, question number one today. Phoenix Fife wrote in. Phoenix is in the Patreon League. Love you, Phoenix. Says, hey, Zach, hope all is going well on the tiny island. It doesn't feel tiny to me, by the way. I got to say, the island is like, takes like an hour to drive all the way around it. I'm so happy with that. You know how, when I lived on the West Coast in, in Oregon, uh, I lived in Hillsboro, Oregon. My family lived in Vancouver, Washington. It would take me an hour to drive to see my family. And that's a drive you're expected to make because it's supposed to be close. Here in, in Hawaii, no one expects me ever to drive to the north shore of the island. They're like, that's too far. Screw that. I love that. I hated, I hated, hated, hated that the beach was two hours away. Seattle was three hours away. Um, you know, any, anything interesting was at least two hours from my house. Everything now on the tiny island, there might not be a lot of options, but I like that I never have to drive far to get anywhere interesting. Oh my gosh, I love living on the island. It, it's just a... I got cheap rent. I'm paying 600 a month. It's amazing. I'm very lucky. Uh, and frankly, like, I'm just happy in my little world. I never have to leave. I've got the beach near me. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to drive really far. I don't have to have the burden. Like, my family, I would get off work at my HVAC job, and it would be 6 o'clock. I'm on the Oregon side of the 205 bridge. They would be in the Vancouver side and say, hey, you want to come over for dinner? And it's like, that's an hour and a half driving through traffic to get to dinner. Then 45 minutes back with less traffic to go home to sleep in Hillsboro at night. Dude, that's that's so much driving. Plus, then I commute to work in the morning. Like, no way. I do not miss driving anywhere. I love, if you call this a tiny island, works for me. I love it. Um, that was a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> Phoenix wrote in, you know, I almost said at the beginning of the episode, this was going to be a short episode. And then I was like, it never is, Zach. It never is. It's not going to be this time. You always find a way to talk for at least an hour. Um, Phoenix writes in and says, I have less of a question and more of an observation. Tua looks more confident than ever. I keep seeing interviews of him talking, and every time he opens his mouth, I hear nothing but self-confidence and I don't care what you say about me kind of attitude. And a I don't care what you say about me kind of attitude. I think you can even see this attitude when he played week one. He played like a guy who was super confident and not like one who has been told over and over again the last couple of years how average and bad he is. I wonder how much of this is because of his coach who has shown immense faith in him or if he's just tired of hearing all the noise and wants to shut everyone up. Either way, I think Tua is primed for a big year and I'm so excited to see what the Dolphins do 
this year. One of my favorite things about Tua is Tua likes playing football. Tua doesn't like being a star. I, I really think that's true. I think Tua is someone who doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He got married and didn't tell anyone. It was like literally like a secret for a long time. Um, I think Tua, part of what I love about Tua, Tua is my favorite quarterback as far as like the human being. I love his family. He's from Hawaii. Awesome guy. Underdog. Has, people haven't believed in him. Does great stuff on the field. But one thing I like about Tua, so I, I'm a sports commentator. I, I do a podcast. I've got, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people who listen to my show every month. It's kind of overwhelming. Um, I don't want to be a celebrity. I really don't want to be a celebrity. I want to talk about sports. I love, I love making podcasts. I'm a nerd. I love football. But I don't really want to be recognized. I don't really like getting criticism. I don't really like having people talk about me. I know that's an oxymoron because it's important for my job to have people paying attention to me. But I read a book that really helped me, and I probably need to reread because I can already feel the things creeping back, is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. That's not the title of the book. The title of the book has the more um, in-your-face word, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. I wonder if Tua read that book, like straight up. He, he does come across like a guy who is at peace where he's like, I'm a quarterback. I love playing football. I love throwing the football. I love reading defenses. I don't really like the media. I don't really like being a celebrity, and I'm at peace about that. I think Tua is kind of in that place right now. So I think, yeah, he doesn't care what anyone really thinks about him the way it used to. But let's be clear. Not giving a blank what people think about you doesn't mean you're an a-hole, doesn't mean that you're rude or obnoxious. It means that you're at peace and you like who you are, and other people's opinion of you doesn't change what you know about yourself. It's the same type of confidence that Deion Sanders has. That's why I find Dion so attractive to pay attention to. He's inspiring and motivating for me. As someone who I struggle with criticism and I struggle with people attacking me, I literally put out a video yesterday, finally just like, I got so sick of people writing me emails and sending me messages on Instagram being like, you're a sellout. I hate that you took sponsorships from this specific sponsor. I'm like, fine. I talked about an episode 577. Let me just make a clip and put it out. Uh, for the public to help people understand better why I made that change to the channel, why I started taking a specific sponsor. So I, I need that. So I need to grow in that area for sure. Tua is killing it, man. Tua does not seem to care in the healthiest way possible. Yeah, he wants to do a good job. He wants to be good at his job. He wants to care for his teammates, all that stuff. But if you criticize him, he knows who he is. He's got peace about that and isn't bothered. Unbothered is a great way to put that took me like five minutes to get there. Um, and it's undeniable that Tua has the perfect coach for him. It's hard to imagine who Mike McDaniel wouldn't work with. Mike McDaniel is, so while Tua is my favorite person in the NFL, like personality, off the field, I love Tua as a man. I think he's awesome. Mike McDaniel, I think, is all time my favorite head coach in the NFL. His communication style his way of building confidence with his players, the way he talks to them, the way he's got this attitude of, we're all in this together. Like Mike McDaniel says, instead of talking down to you, I'm going to talk to you on the same level. We got to work together so we can win on Sundays. By the way, Mike McDaniel goes into the office at like three in the morning. He has a history of he struggled with alcohol abuse in the past. He got fired from the Houston Texans staff, Gary Kubiak. I Look up the, it's like eight eight fifty six or something. There's some crazy number of days that, Mike McDaniel wasn't in the NFL. There's a great video if you want to watch on YouTube about Mike McDaniel and his journey getting back to the NFL and how he will never take it for granted again. 
I find that so relatable and compelling. How can you not love Mike McDaniel and what he's doing in Miami? And one thing Mike McDaniel does is he makes Tua feel confident. And part of your job as a head coach, in my opinion, is to make your players feel confident. I love seeing Tua comfortable and confident in who he is. And part of that has to have come from his head coach, Mike McDaniel, from day one, believing in him, supporting him, in him, being unwavering in that support of him. Mike McDaniel never allowed anyone to believe other than the fact that he believed in Tua. Even when Tua was hurt, even when backups would play, this or that, there was noise everywhere. Mike McDaniel was unwavering in his support of Tua. And if Tua has the year he's on week one, he had 466 yards, bunch of touchdown passes. If that continues all year, it will be a return on an investment from a head coach, Mike McDaniel, believing in his player, Tua. And how awesome is that? Sometimes all we need is someone to believe in us. Mike McDaniel believed in Tua. And that's part of why that's my favorite quarterback coach tandem in the NFL. I love, love Mike McDaniel. I root openly for Tua. I love to see them winning and doing well together. All right, Matthew writes in. Matthew says, hey, Zach, with the crazy news of Aaron Rodgers going down, the Jets seem to be scrambling to find a new quarterback, at least according to the media. Currently, they seem stuck with their guy, but let me cook up an idea I haven't heard anyone really talk about. If the Jets can hang on till late October-ish, what if they can trade for Kyler Murray? I think it would provide some clarity to Arizona because they will, uh, it will provide some clarity to Arizona's will they, won't they with Kyler and could be what puts the Jets over the edge. It seems unlikely right now, but it was just a fun idea I had. It does seem unlikely. Um, let me let me say first, I think that the idea the Jets are scrambling to find a backup uh, or a new quarterback instead of Zach Wilson, I think that's just the media. I think that's the media looking for narratives, looking for things to talk about, trying to fill time on their shows. I don't think it's a real conversation. I think the Jets are very comfortable and happy with Zach Wilson, and that's their quarterback the rest of the year. Um, and of the options they could trade for, like Jacoby Brissett, Davis Mills, they've got a bad offensive line in New, in New York with the Jets. So you're going to have a new quarterback come in who's not very mobile, has low potential, and doesn't know the playbook. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think it makes sense to the Jets. I think Zach Wilson is their quarterback. He can actually run and escape pressure when he needs to more than anyone they could trade for. Um, They're invested in Zach. He knows the system. He's been there for years. They like him. They know how to work with him. I think Zach's the quarterback in New York this year. Aaron Rodgers is out. Zach Wilson is in. And that's the plan. I don't think it's going to change. But um, trading for Kyler Murray, part of my lip, that's weird. Trading for Kyler Murray midseason wouldn't help the Jets. Um, A, it's tough to learn a system that quick. Like, we saw Deshaun Watson join the Cleveland Browns midseason last year. He never looked very good. I mean, it's just hard to, when you're that far behind, you haven't been with the team all year. You can know the playbook, but if you haven't been there for the beginning of the year as they make changes and adjustments and install new things and take other things out, you're never going to be caught up. And so Kyler Murray wouldn't be able to come in midseason, play at a high level, and lead them to a Super Bowl. It's just not going to happen. I don't think Kyler, without knowing the system, could come in to the Jets like week 11 or 10 or 9 or whatever, probably week 9 because that's the trade deadline's week 8. I don't think he could come in week 9 
be their starting quarterback and lead them to a Super Bowl. It's just not feasible for him to come in and play better than Zach Wilson could in that short an amount of time. Um, on top of that, it looks like Rodgers wants to come back next year. Aaron Rodgers is planning to be the quarterback next year in New York for the Jets. And you wouldn't make a trade for Kyler Murray because then you've got a Kyler and Aaron on your roster for next year. And if you trade away valuable assets to get Kyler Murray to help you win a Super Bowl this year, you're trading away valuable players that can help you be a good team in the future with Zach Wilson or Aaron Rodgers in the future. So, yeah, Kyler Murray trade isn't going to happen. That's why probably no one's talking about it. But I also don't know that we should be talking so heavily about the Jets trading for a new quarterback anyway. It's just not a realistic conversation because I don't think it's one the Jets are actually having. Nick Flames right in with a, wrote in with a really good, I like this, Nick Flames, awesome right in here. It's more of a, I don't know that it's, it's, it's a long write in and I don't know how much of it's a question, but it's really good. Nick Flames says, hey, Zach. Oh God, I, nope, I, I messed it up already. Hey, it should be a comma there. Come on, one sec, I need to, I need to take a break. I got something on my lip. It's like sticky, it's weird. Okay, Nick Flames writes in. Nick says, Hey, glad to see Zach back. I wrote in today to talk about whether Brandon Staley deserves a chance to still be the Chargers head coach. I would say no. I think Brandon Staley deserves to be let go of. He is a good man and a person, and I, he is a good man in person, and I would hope he would bounce back as a coordinator. What I saw in the Chargers game made me think he deserves the axe, though. Nick Flames continues, a defensive head coach with Joey Bosa and Derwin James could not manage to win a game where they scored 34 points. Kellen Moore would be a better head coach. It is a problem as a defensive head coach when your defense has been consistently bad every year, and that is your coaching expertise. Is Brandon Staley an elite leader? No. Does he consistently bring in a great staff, i.e. Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh? No. Is he a tactician who elevates his side of the ball? No. Does he rally the troops effectively and make good adjustments as the game progresses? No. Is he an elite game planner before the game begins, i.e. scripted plays? No. Is he great at managing the clock or throwing challenges, the little things? No. Example is the the timeout in overtime against the Raiders that one year, which made them kick a field goal to win. So why should Brandon Staley still be here in L.A.? When you look at the Chargers roster, the O-line is there, the quarterback is there, they've got high-level wide receivers, a good run game, and a defense with good pass rushers and and an elite safety. So what is holding them back every year? It's Brandon Staley's inability to call a game, plan a game, and construct an offensive or defensive scheme. That is not even mentioning his affinity for choking, i.e. the Jaguars' playoff loss where they were up 20-plus points at half. Tell me what you think, Zach. Do you agree? I tend to agree. I think Brandon Staley is a very nice man. I think he's created a work environment that is comfortable. And if it was HVAC or, I don't know, a regular office job, that's awesome. Unfortunately, you don't need just a comfortable environment. In fact, you could argue uh, the Patriots environment is very uncomfortable and they win a lot. What you need to do is win games in, in the NFL. And... I think maybe Brandon Staley should go back to being just a defensive coordinator, see if that works. I don't think he's a hopeless coach. When he was the Rams defensive coordinator, he was a good coach. He was smart. And I think it's possible that maybe now Brandon Staley just has too much on his plate, too much responsibility, not enough ability to focus on what made him good. 
uh, as a defensive coordinator, but the Chargers so consistently underachieve. And that's based, that opinion is based on the recent years. It's based on week one. We will see how the year goes, but I was very disappointed when the Chargers didn't make an aggressive move. I thought they would, I, I was hoping. I was so hoping they would make an aggressive move to go get Sean Payton, who's now the Denver Broncos head coach. They didn't. It, he literally went to a division rival. Can you imagine Justin Herbert coached by Sean Payton? How fun and exciting that would be. And I almost wonder if Sean Payton was holding out, hoping he could get that job. It's frustrating. It's sad. It's irritating. And uh, yeah, Kellen Moore is doing a great job as offensive coordinator. Maybe, like, you know, you can't keep Brandon Staley, but he was once a good defensive coordinator. I think you need to get a coach who, I don't know that, I, I worry about elevating Kellen Moore to head coach. Like, would that be too much responsibility for him as well? But um, it certainly, what's the Peter principle where you can get promoted so far that you fail? That's what happened to Brandon Staley. He was a young, exciting, awesome defensive coordinator who got promoted to a head coach position and is uh, in over his head and not doing very well. Nick wrote in. Nick said, howdy, howdy, Zach. I love howdy. It's always fun. Said, I've been hearing everyone talk about how the Cardinals will trade Kyler Murray at the end of the year. To me, this makes no sense. I get they might get two top five picks in next year's draft, but I feel like it makes more sense to keep Kyler and trade either one or both of the top five picks and try to build up your roster for the future. The roster as it stands doesn't seem ready to win within the next two or three years, so why the, why the risk ruining a rookie quarterback now when you have a shot to build the roster and find the quarterback? It might even be possible that they could build the roster to better fit Kyler and not need a new quarterback. We'll love to hear your thoughts and opinions. P.S. Madden 12 is better than Madden 11. Totally disagree on Madden. Madden 11, better playbooks, better physics. Um, everything's better. I love Madden 11. Madden 12, hey, it's better than the new Madden, so I'll take that. And they're similar enough that I could play Madden 12 and have a great time. Um, if you're going to keep Kyler Murray, then... You don't trade the draft picks away, for sure. You just use the draft picks. If you got two top five picks, you use them to build around Kyler. Maybe you trade down and collect even more first-round picks, and a second-round pick or two. That's possible. But, I mean, what, what kind of difference would, like, a great receiver or two with Kyler Murray make? I mean, we saw Joe Burrow do really well with a great receiver or two in Cincinnati. Maybe the same could be said for Arizona. Um, I don't know, man, like it'd be fascinating. I, I just want to bring attention to this. I think it's possible the Cardinals do stick with Kyler Murray. He is expensive, um, and small and been injured. So I could see plenty of reason to move away from him. And also like if Caleb Williams goes to Arizona, I mean, think of the marketing opportunities, how big of a deal that would be. Caleb Williams is the biggest star in college football. Right? Like, he's everywhere. And um, that market in Arizona could use a star like Caleb Williams, bringing a lot of attention with him. So, we'll see what happens. Um, I just, I'm fascinated to see what Arizona does. It's so far away from now. But April 2024, what are the Cardinals going to do with their quarterback in the draft? I can't wait to see what happens there. It's going to be... The story of the draft will be Arizona, I think, undoubtedly. 
Like, that's going to be so interesting. The story of the draft, Arizona, and then how many quarterbacks go where? Because I think there's like five or six talented quarterbacks who could go in the first three rounds in this 2024 NFL draft. It's going to be really, really interesting to me, and I can't wait to see it. Fran writes in, uh, Fran, I want to say ahead of time, I don't have anything to add to your write-in, but it's just a good write-in. Fran, it's creative, it's fun. Listen to Fran. Fran says, Hi, Zacharoni's eyes. I have been a longtime viewer and just recently joined Patreon. Today I was thinking of, today I was thinking, if starting quarterbacks were superheroes or villains, who would they be? For example, I had Lamar Jackson as the Flash, super fast, but a bit errant, uh, and growing and becoming a leader. Joe Burrow as Captain America, great leader and never giving up. Josh Allen as Thor, amazingly strong and talented, becoming a great leader, but still errant at times. And Aaron Rodgers as Iron Man, crazy talented, smart, cocky, but helping develop a young Spider-Man in Zach Wilson. Keep up the amazing work. Fran, I got nothing more to add. I, I did think about it. And I, you know, I, I've always liked the idea. I've tried multiple times to try to make a segment like this, like yeah, Derrick Henry as Hulk, stuff like that. And I, I just can't, I know superheroes really well, by the way. I just can't, my brain can't connect them. I don't know why. I literally sat down one time and tried to think of them. And I just, I was like, hey, they're just not quite landing for me. But you hit all the good ones. Lamar Jackson is Flash. Um, Joe Burrow is Captain America. Josh Allen is Thor. I'd love to see what Tua is. Like what, what superhero is Tua? Aquaman's a good idea there from Hawaii. What's up? Um, Aaron Rodgers is Iron Man with Spider-Man and Zach Wilson. Like that, that's a fun idea. I love that one right there. That's like a good, that, someone should make that art, by the way. Make the art of, or someone should make the art of like um, Batman and Robin, but like Batman when he's crippled. And so like Robin, Zach, Zach Wilson becomes like Nightwing and kind of takes over while Batman's crippled and recovering uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Like someone should make that artwork. That sounds really fun and interesting. Like, I want to, I don't have money for this. I think you have to pay to start making AI art. I would love to someday make AI art. Like one idea I have, type into AI art generation, see what they make. Aaron Rodgers as Batman, Zach Wilson as Robin. Aaron Rodgers as Iron Man, Zach Wilson as Spider-Man. Like that's such a fun, easy idea. I'd love to see what AI would create. Um, I'm not, AI kind of terrifies me, but the AI art idea would be fun to play around with. And I've never figured it out. Uh, it looks like it takes a long time to process. You have to pay for it. I'm like, ah, I'm good. But someday, someday that would be fun to mess around with. I also don't know how to make money doing it. It just seems like it'd be fun and expensive, kind of an expensive hobby. Ricardo writes in. Ricardo says, hey, Zach, weird question, but have you ever considered a rebrand of your logo? If so, I think it would be fun to have a competition between your viewers to see who could come up with the best concept. Um... I'm probably not going to change the logo to the show, but I'm always open to cool art. I love hearing and seeing the new ideas people have. And I want to say this. If you send in really cool artwork you make for Strong Opinion Sports, I will 1,000% put your artwork into the show. That sounds awesome. I'll be like, hey, look what this cool guy made. And if you're like an artist on Instagram and you want to shout out, thousand percent reach out to me i'll put your art on the youtube channel i'll put it on screen i'll talk about it i'll have fun with it i'll promote you that just sounds like fun content to make so feel free to write in if you make creative strong opinion sports stuff or really any sports stuff i'll promote your artwork i think that's fun that's interesting i like doing that that would be awesome now 
Ricardo wrote in with another uh, second half of his question that was flattering to me. Oh my gosh, man. Honor of a lifetime. Not really, but man, it's, it's pretty cool. He says, I don't know if this has been asked already, but if it has, I'll leave you with this. Oh, he, I think he meant he was finishing up with the logo question. Uh, there's not a space there. Ricardo says, I always make a roster in Madden with a bunch of my friends on my team. It gives me backyard football memories. And I always make you, Zach, my head coach. We made it. Ha! I'm a Madden head coach, baby. Let's go. I think that's awesome. I love that. Uh, that's just cool, man. That's flattering. That's exciting. Um, thank you, man. That like, That's silly and fun, and um, I totally, totally love it. Um, Lionheart writes in. Lionheart says, Hi, Bengals coach and Nebraska football legend Zach Taylor. We do spell it the same. Z-A-C, baby. The popular opinion right now is that the Bengals won't be able to keep their wide receiver room together. I think this is totally wrong. To people who say they can't keep everybody, my response is that they are already not keeping everybody. CJ Uzama and Hayden Hurst were really clutch players for the Bengals the past two years, and both of them ended up walking away in free agency and getting paid elsewhere. Jesse Bates and Von Bell were one of the best safety duos in the league, and both of them walked away in free agency to get paid somewhere else. Larry Ogunjobi had a great year last year with the Bengals, or had a great year with the Bengals in 2021, where he walked away in free agency and earned a $40 million contract with the Bears. A failed physical took that away, but my point still stands. All of these players left and got the bag in free agency. The Bengals could have and perhaps should have paid these players, but they opted not to because they know they have some very expensive contracts coming up. You have already been seeing them sacrifice other position groups on this team, in addition to selling naming rights to their stadium to save enough cash to keep these three together. In my opinion, seeing, uh, in my opinion, the Bengals will have no problem keeping Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins from a cap standpoint. The real story should be how the Bengals are going to keep a good supporting cast around those three in years to come. This isn't really a question so much as it is me attempting to use your show to push an agenda. So sorry about that. Keep up the great work. Dude, you never have to apologize. It's a great writing. That's really insightful, man. Good players that have walked away. Larry Ogunjobi, Jesse Bates, Von Bell, CJ Uzama, Hayden Hurst. A lot of players have not gotten paid in Cincinnati because they knew they had to pay their three stars. But you're right. The question is, can they pay other people? You got to draft well. Um... Green Bay does a great job of this. Green Bay doesn't get a lot of free agents that come to Green Bay. They have to draft good linemen, draft well, and they've done that a lot. The Green Bay Packers drafted really well and have often. They don't get really a lot of credit for it. But when you're not going to pay high-level free agents, you got to do well in the draft. And if you can build your offensive line that way through the draft, second, third, fourth-round picks year in and year out, um, that's a formula that allows you to win with a couple really expensive contracts in Cincinnati. Okay, Tig writes in. Tig says, Zach, when does Nick Saban get on the hot seat? In the same breath, when does Bill Belichick get on the hot seat? Never, 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 never. Saban, Belichick, basically never. Bill Belichick has six Super Bowl wins. Uh, Nick Saban has seven national titles, six with Alabama. Nick Saban has developed countless NFL players. Uh, in my opinion, you win that much, you get the right to leave whenever you want seriously, like you have the longest leash in imaginable history. I can't imagine given how old they are, 
They can never win so much they get fired before they retire. And we saw the end of, I, it's, a, it's a bad word now, but Joe Paterno walked away and he was like a skeleton when he retired. I mean, he was just, it, it, it was unceremonious, but he wasn't like winning at a high level. He wasn't at his best, Joe Paterno. He was an old man, barely keeping it together. Um, now, he left for other reasons, i.e. Jerry Sandusky, but um, I think when you win a lot and you mean a lot to a university, you get the right to, to leave whenever you want. You can stay as long as you want, um, barring some crazy controversy, i.e. Joe Paterno, unless Belichick is doing some crazy stuff on the side or Nick Saban's doing horrible stuff that's really offensive, which I don't think they are, they've earned the right to walk away whenever they want. By the way, it's so cool. Saban and Belichick are friends and used to work together in the NFL. Um, look up Bill Belichick, Saban in Cleveland. It's really interesting. Um, so to me, they're unfireable. I mean, frankly, like, I, in fact, go ahead. If you fire Nick Saban... <laughs> Uh, he'll get a job the next day. Same with Bill Belichick. So um, I think Belichick would have a harder time. I mean, it's really sad. If either of them ever got fired and tried to go somewhere else, it would suck to watch them have to rebuild the institution they built between New England and Alabama. But um, it's worth noting, we saw that Nick Saban is now doing uh, Nick Saban Thursdays on the Pat McAfee show. I've got a theory about that. I think Nick Saban is quietly trying to counter what Deion Sanders is doing. Deion Sanders is speaking to young people. Deion Sanders is going to dominate in recruiting. Nick Saban said, how do I get in front of young people and make people understand how cool and relatable I am? You go on an open platform with Pat McAfee every week, answer some softball questions and show how fun and personable you can be. Um, I think it's a great move for Nick Saban. And I thought that, you know, Kirby Smart's not doing that. Brian Kelly's not doing that. They got their own, you know, weekly coaches shows, but it's not the same as a national gigantic audience like Pat McAfee has. And so um, the smartest thing that any coach did in college football to counter what Deion Sanders is doing, taking over the sport, Nick Saban going on the Pat McAfee show once a week, every Thursday to share his personality and, and help him with recruiting. So um, remember, every time you watch Nick Saban on the Pat McAfee show, that's a marketing campaign. And if Nick Saban wants to market on Strong Opinion Sports, he's welcome to do it anytime. I love that stuff. love promoting people. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just awesome. A great, great, really smart, big brain move there. Uh, Jake Bobo, Offensive Rookie of the Year, writes in. That's his little campaign, I guess. Says, hello, Zach and Black, reference to the not only critically acclaimed Will Smith movie, but also to your black shirts, baby. Hit my mic. Jake Bobo. I'm not going to say the full name ever. Jake says, <laughs> I had an interesting narrative I want to see your opinion on. I want to hear your opinion on this interesting narrative. In the 2022 NFL draft, we saw two pairs of players selected in the top four. We saw two pass rushers, Teron Walker and Aiden Hutchinson, go one and two. And we saw two corners, Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner, go three and four. But as of right now, it looks like the player that, that got picked second was the better player. However... How will these picks look in five years? I think it's possible that Trevon Walker and Derek Stingley were picked first because they have higher upside. And it's not a surprise that in their first years, Hutchinson and Gardner played better. What say you? Um, maybe in five years. I mean, Trevon Walker's a better physically gifted athlete than Aiden Hutchinson, but um, Aiden Hutchinson is the one making plays now, right? Like, did you watch week one Lions against Kansas City? Aiden Hutchinson was a force and a menace to 
work with. I mean, you know what's funny is they play Aiden Hutchinson, then Trevon Walker play Kansas City back-to-back. So now we get to see Aiden Hutchinson. uh, Sorry, we got to see Aiden Hutchinson week one against Kansas City. Now we get to see the guy picked ahead of him, Trevon Walker, in week two against Kansas City. That'll be interesting. Uh, Derek Stingley, uh, maybe five years from now, is better than Sauce Gardner. Who cares, though? The Lions are winning now because of Aiden Hutchinson. The Jets' defense is great now, in part because they got Sauce Gardner. Neither team, the Lions or the Jets, had the affordability to wait five years. They needed an impact. They needed an impact player right away. They needed a guy who could step in and play well immediately. That's basically what Sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson have been for the Lions and the Jets. I will say, if Trevon Walker doesn't work out, he's a worse miss because. Um, I mean, man, Aiden Hutchinson on the table. You knew he was there. You didn't draft him. Uh, I think Derek Stingley, part of what Derek Stingley hasn't been as great is he doesn't have a great pass rush. Like, Sauce Gardner is amazing. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But it does help that opposing quarterbacks get a lot of pressure on them. And, uh, you know, when you got a great defensive line, it makes your corners better. Derek Stingley does not and has not had that. Um, But... Jake, write in again in five years. <laughs> we'll talk. I think it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting conversation. Someday someone should go through with the amount of times I say, let's revisit this topic in five years. Make sure I'm actually revisiting these topics because I, I worry sometimes. I say regularly, ah, we'll see how that works out five years from now. And then I feel like it's been two years since I said some of that stuff and I haven't ever revisited it. So I'm, I'm always afraid that I'm like, did I forget to revisit a narrative? I don't remember. Um, so... Feel free to keep me honest, but uh, Jake, that's my opinion on that. Last write-in of the day today, and then I've got a messy topic I want to end with. How long have we been recording for? Okay, well, over an hour. We're fine. (laughs) Not short every time. Uh, Dominic says, hey, Zach, love your stuff. I was wondering if you had any favorite college quarterbacks this year to watch. Watch out for UCLA's Dante Moore. My favorite college quarterbacks to watch, um, I love watching Quinn Ewers, a quarterback at Texas, man. That guy throws... A beautiful football. I could watch Quinn Ewers in like a pro day setting in shorts and a t-shirt throw the football for like four hours. I just really, really like how he throws the football. His mechanics, his ease with which the ball comes out of his hand, all of it. I mean, I I am a nerd for the quarterback position. I love watching quarterbacks play and... Uh, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Watching Quinn Ewers is just fun. As a guy who likes and appreciates mechanics and throwing motions, and um, I love watching a good spiral, that's what he does. He can spin it really well. Um, Cam Ward at Washington State is one of my favorite college quarterbacks to watch that no one's ever heard of. I was hoping that that Wisconsin game, which, by the way, he won. He beat Wisconsin. I was hoping that would get him national attention. It did not. I was disappointed by that. Cam Ward is such an underrated really good player like cam ward is so good he could be a first round pick that people go who similar to like when uh jordan love got drafted out of utah state people are like who who's who's jordan love i'm like now you know now you know who jordan love is and cam ward is a guy 
first round talent quarterback wise buried on a Washington State program, Washington State team that does not have any national relevance whatsoever. But if you're paying attention to Cameron Ward, the dude can play at such a high level. It's crazy to me that we're not hearing about it. It's it's criminal almost how much people are just ignoring what this really, really special playmaking quarterback can do in Pullman, Washington. And it's like, Guys, this might be the best quarterback Washington State has ever had. They had Gardner Minshew. They had Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf picked after Peyton Manning, the second pick of the draft. And yet, I think Cameron Ward is better. And nobody, nobody cares. I'm like, oh, we are so broken as a society, the way we pay attention to quarterbacks. Um, The other quarterback, you can't talk about. I mean, this is not just me saying it because I have to. It's also true. I absolutely love watching Caleb Williams, a quarterback at USC. There is a reason why he's the biggest star in college football. He can run around like Patrick Mahomes. He's a Houdini escape artist. He can get out of sacks. He can extend plays. He can run with power. He's got a great arm. Um, And that's it. You know, I, I think Caleb Williams is amazing, but similar to Caleb Williams, Cameron Ward can run around and extend plays. I have watched Cameron Ward make Mahomes-like plays where it's like third and 22 and he throws for like 25 yards. It's third and 19, he throws for a touchdown. You're like, that shouldn't be possible, but because he can extend plays and run around and keep a play long enough that a defense loses track of their receivers, he can make big plays. The guy has got a great arm. He's a special athletic talent. He's got great vision, ability to extend plays, keep his eyes downfield. Cameron Ward is amazing. And uh, Caleb Williams is a similar talent level. I I I would actually argue... I think Quinn Ewers throws a better ball than Caleb Williams. Like, he's got a stronger arm a little bit than Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, the ball uh, gets away from him a little bit. Like, not gets away, that's the wrong word, but Caleb Williams doesn't have the strongest arm in college football. But he's a Houdini. He's great at extending plays. And um, I do wonder, like, in the NFL, a different game with better athletes, Drake May at North Carolina is way more raw than Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a bigger star makes bigger plays in college, but has better players around him. Drake May might be, in the NFL, a slightly better player with different, better coaching in the NFL than Caleb Williams. That might be blasphemous. That might be crazy. But when I watch Drake May, I see Justin Herbert. And there's just not a lot of Justin Herberts running around the world uh, and the planet of planet Earth. I want to end the show with this today, guys. Um... I have never once talked about gambling on my show. Not not really. Um, and I'm not going to here other than some inside baseball. I am fascinated by streaming services. Streaming services, Netflix, um, Disney Plus, Hulu, um, Paramount Plus. Uh, there's another one, Peacock. Like, people are all trying to make their own streaming service. That's like the game plan. And Disney is right now way too reliant on it. They're losing tons and tons of money. By the way, the money Disney's losing on Disney Plus uh, could be offset by their CEO taking just a little bit less money. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, But Disney right now is losing tons and tons of money on Disney Plus. And there's just so many streaming services right now between Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, all of them. They're not all going to win, right? And we're building this model that's unsustainable with streaming services. I swear I'm going somewhere. Only a couple, 10 years from now, if any, are going to win. 
probably Netflix, probably Amazon Prime. That's not going anywhere. Maybe there's room for one or two more. We're seeing a similar thing happen with gambling. FanDuel, DraftKings, Fox Bet didn't work. It failed. Um, Barstool had a partnership with Penn that they didn't work. They actually sold Barstool back to their former owner. And Penn is now partnering with ESPN to start ESPN Bet, ESPN, a gambling service. And what I'm trying to say here is that we're in the early stages of gambling being legalized in America. Very similar to like actually the, um, got to be careful. I don't want to say the wrong word here. The weed industry. Let's just say it, right? Um, there was a crash in the weed market where it got legalized in Oregon like crazy. And then there was so much supply, not enough demand. The, the prices went way down, which is great for consumers, but it tanked the weed market like crazy. Like no one was making money anymore. We are seeing in, it's a new emerging market, sports gambling. And big companies are spending a lot of money in marketing to try to be the ones that win the initial war, to get the most people in. Giving away like $200 in free bets off a $5 thing, spending a ton of money in advertising. By the way, the advertising money in gambling this year is less than it was last year. That's interesting to me. So what we're seeing is a world where everyone's trying to win and be the number one gambling company. I think the two that are going to win are FanDuel and DraftKings. They are the two best and the two top dogs in my opinion. But everyone's trying to do it in their own way. ESPN and Nat has now thrown their weight into the ring. Rather than partnering with FanDuel, rather than taking the money that FanDuel or DraftKings would give ESPN in a partnership, they've decided to do it themselves. That's a mistake in my opinion. It's going to cost you a lot of money to get it off the ground. Then you're going to spend a lot of money in advertising. And if it fails, you're out a ton of money when you could just take in and bring in free money in advertising from DraftKings or FanDuel. It reminds me of when the Pac-12 network was started. I used to work for the Pac-12 network. I got actually asked to work this weekend, the Oregon State at Washington State game in Pullman. I'm like, ah, that's a long commute from Hawaii. I'm good. But thanks for the invite. And the Pac-12 network Rather than partnering with ESPN or Fox, which, by the way, the SEC network partnered with ESPN. They had a big network helping them with all the stuff, the logistics, everything, and taking some of the financial burden. The Pac-12 was an idiot, said, we're going to do this all by ourselves. We're not going to ingratiate ourselves to ESPN or Fox or CBS. We're going to make our own network without anyone's help. Part of why I got hired was because I was cheap and I was young, Right. They were not great financially. They were over leveraged with a dumb headquarters in San Francisco, paying like millions for a space that was totally ridiculous. Should have gone to Salt Lake City where Utah was. Part of the death of the Pac-12 was that they spent money poorly. They tried to do stuff by themselves rather than taking a partnership and making it easier for them financially. ESPN is doing a similar thing. They're starting ESPN Bet. Rather than taking a partnership from FanDuel or DraftKings and just saying, hey, they've got a lot of money they want to spend in marketing. We'll take your money. Instead of putting any of our own money into our own gambling service, instead of trying to compete against you, let's work together. We can all make money here. ESPN is taking those giants on head to head. Massive mistake, in my opinion. It reminds me when the Pac-12 tried to start their own network 
and it was a massive mistake that hemorrhaged money and cost them a lot. ESPN is now rumored to be in conversation of being sold to Apple. I am worried about the future of ESPN. I don't love ESPN. Their programming kind of sucks. They're very stuffy. I used to work for them as well. They drove me nuts. Like I was a camera operator and they were just corporate and a pain in the butt. <laughs> um, I did, I like ran cables for them. I did a lot of stuff for ESPN over the years. And I still think ESPN has value. I like ESPN. I work for them. They drive me nuts. I'm not a fan, but I use their website occasionally. I think they're awesome. And I worry about the existence of ESPN. As Apple's rumored to maybe buy them, they're taking on a ton of money uh, to partner with Penn to do ESPN Bet, their own gambling service, rather than partnering with FanDuel, rather than partnering with DraftKings, the two big dogs in the space who I think would happily have a partnership with ESPN. They're like, we're going to do it ourselves. As a guy who does a sports show by myself, it's way harder to do everything by yourself. And uh, I don't know. I, I just... I don't know. I'm not going anywhere here, really. I'm throwing out this stuff saying, I think ESPN is making a big mistake with ESPN bet. I think they're going to spend a lot of money and it's going to do nothing. Fox bet died really quick. They tried their own gambling service at Fox Sports and it didn't do anything. It got eked out of existence. And I worry that a similar thing is going to happen with ESPN and their new service, ESPN bet. All right, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. Um... A lot of fun football this weekend. Can't wait to watch Kansas City at Jacksonville. Colorado hosting Colorado State. Sunday night football. Dolphins Patriots. Tua Tungavaloa. Mike McDaniel. That Mike McDaniel topic I did during the Patreon questions, that might be a breakup. That was a good one. I really like that one. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great weekend. Um, shout out to the Denver Broncos. I thought they played pretty well. I believe they're playing. If I remember correctly, I think... I think they're playing Washington this week, which is a really interesting game. It, they are playing Washington because I remember talking about how does the Denver offensive line do against a really good Washington defensive line, who, by the way, gets Chase Young back. It's going to be a great weekend of football. I love you. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Friday. Have a great day. I'll talk to you on Monday or hopefully I'm, I'll record Sunday night. You'll probably hear it Monday. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. And uh, bam, we are done.